Welcome to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Getting Common covers a variety of topics and features guests from business, law, politics, government, education, and some of the most insightful entrepreneurs. It's a refreshing, common-sense approach to some of the most important discussion points today. Now, here is your host, Carlos Chapman. Hello, everyone. I'm Carlos Chapman, and I'm your host of Getting Common. In my day job, I'm an associate professor at Washington and Lee's Law School. The topic of today's episode is surviving the bar exam, and we will be discussing some of the things that helped us to get through the bar exam. I've assembled a panel of some of my favorite attorneys, Kimber Russell and Fallon Hamilton, who will provide you with some practical advice. I'll let them introduce themselves. First, Fallon. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. My name is Fallon Hamilton. I am an attorney in Houston, Texas, as well as a writer, as well as a podcaster. And I am happy to be here to discuss the wonderful thing that is known as the bar. Hi, uh, my right, name next, is Kimber. My name is Kimber Russell. I'm an attorney in Chicago. I have my own firm, Vanguard Advocates, with my partner, Robert Alexander, and we do criminal defense, family law. And I also uh, do some work in in housing court and I'm a bar exam abolitionist and I am formerly uh, oh, I formerly sold bar prep for several years. I've graded practice essays. I've coached and continue to tutor folks taking the bar exam. So I got a lot to say today. I also I mean, it's I also am a bar exam abolitionist, which is ironic, given that that I work for a bar prep company that I won't name, uh, but I we, we will get into that discussion <laughs> as to why. Now, Kimber, I want to start with you to help get some of the basics out of the way for people who are either just entering law school or for people who are not lawyers at all and have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about the bar exam. So first, what is the bar exam and when do people take it? The bar exam is a necessary licensing examination that's the culmination of receiving your Juris Doctor degree. Most states require that you fully graduate from law school and have obtained a Juris Doctor degree before you're able to sit for the bar exam. Some states allow you to just, quote unquote, read the law like what Kim Kardashian is doing without having gone to law school. And this test is offered twice annually the end of February and at the end of July. Those are the only two times that it's offered. And in order to become a licensed attorney, virtually every jurisdiction requires that you pass this exam. And I should say that until recently, like very recently, um, you would have to take every single state unless you could wave in or have some sort of exceptions. Now we have the UBE where you can get a high enough score in one state and possibly automatically be admitted to other states. But back in the good old days when I took the bar exam in 2004, when I took Texas, Texas that didn't have reciprocity with other states. So if I wanted to go practice in another state before I had a certain number of years of practice, that meant I would have to do it all over again, uh, which is just utterly ridiculous, in my opinion. Now, Fallon, I would like to get into a little more nuts and bolts about some of the problems with the bar exam. And you attended Thurgood Marshall for law school. So I would love for you to tell our guests how the bar is biased, particularly against black people and people of color and how schools like Thurgood Marshall are kind of punished for that bias. Oh, yes. So I started school 2005 when the bar passage rate at Thurgood was not the best. 
um, kind of everybody was like, oh, my God, you're going to third good. You know, they don't pass the bar. That's that's what you hear coming through the door like day one. Like, OK, well, you know, we got bar prep. OK, we have this. We have that. But, oh, you go to third good. So it might not pan out for you. The bar exam is one of those tests where I, I'll say that it's a lot of mental that goes into it. You get a room full of minorities and tell them, hey, your law school is trash. You have too many black people and too many Latinos and too many people of color at your school. So theoretically, your bar prep is going to be disastrous. Um, they start off by telling you that basically. So not only do you come in the door with that stigma on your head, um, every employer in our city is complaining like, oh, well, we don't really hire from Thurgood because of the bar passage rate. Forget we have smart people at our school. They're, everybody that I know who graduated from my law school is a badass attorney right now, like doing it big. But when it comes to bar passage rates and just the whole idea of the bar exam, we're already just cast away into the land of the, the bar results are going to be bad. And my dog is, is crying because it's thundering. So if you hear any strange whimper, it's like he kind of knows we're talking about the bar. So that's like on point topic because that's kind of how I feel about it. But yeah, just systemically like multiple choice questions, test answers, essay writing. A lot of people that come to my law school are coming from other HBCUs or other colleges who may or may not have been as prepared for like the multiple choice test or the essay writing, not saying that they're not as smart. Some people just think differently. Some people are taught differently. So to come to a place where it's just already out there that, oh, well, you already have this, this one strike against you. They kind of set us up for failure off, off the rip. Like it's already coming out the door that people are going to stigmatize you. So yeah, that's, I know that's like a long roundabout answer to that question, but being a black person who did pass the bar from Thurgood, who knows several other black people and several of other Mexican people and Asian people who passed the bar and are kicking everybody's ass in court that may or may not have passed the bar on the first time, though us, um, it's possible, but society especially our legal community and the powers that be in our legal community are very good with already telling the third good students off top from day one that, oh, you're going to struggle with the bar exam just because. Well, and I would say, you know, as someone who does bar prep and as someone who has taught at law schools ranking from 144 to 26, um, I, I, I you know, like I had students at NIU who were just as smart as my students at GW or Washington Lee or William & Mary. And to just prejudge students based on where they're attending law school and to assume they're not going to pass the bar is ridiculous. I have I have WNL students who fail the bar every year who are super bright. I know I have friends who went to Yale who like took three times to pass a bar exam. So mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with where you went to school you know, in my opinion, it, it has to do with like your discipline when you're studying and like how much abuse can you take? <laughs> like truly, how much abuse can you take? And do you have six to eight weeks to sit down and study versus do you need to work? Which, you know, nobody talks about the economics of the bar exam and the fact that 
you really cannot work while studying. And so if you are self-funded, you need to take out a bar loan. That's at a ridiculously high interest rate. So, you know. A bar loan because you may or may not have credit because you came straight from undergrad. And then don't forget to factor in that you've already been told based on your ranking that you aren't going to pass or you probably won't specifically because of the school you go to. So that mental aspect is a big component also. So that that I feel like that's the top of the list for people who are similarly situated as myself. But that's how it was designed to be, frankly. I actually worked for a professor uh, my third year of law school, and he wanted me to figure out why are law schools set up the way that they are. And so I went into this deep dive rabbit hole. And basically, the entire reason why law school exists and why the bar exam exists is racism. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's because every time a new group of people would come out and start advocating for their community. It started with Jewish attorneys, frankly, because the Jewish attorneys were offering lower cost services. They were competition. So suddenly it becomes necessary to be member of the bar and only white Anglo-Saxon Protestant men could be members of the bar. And so, of course, we sue. We eventually get to a point where Jewish people can be members of the bar and even black people and things like that. But then now we got it. We got to add other reasons. So you didn't used to need to go to college. You didn't used to need to go to law school. You didn't need to, to do all these things and jump through all these hoops. But even as early, even as late as I want to say it was somewhere around the 20s, uh, the, the 1920s, the ABA itself was determined to remain an Anglo-Saxon uh, organization. Black people had to sue to be a member of the Bar Association. They accidentally accidentally allowed three black dudes in and they were like, oh, no, we got to shut this down right now. Mm-hmm. So the only reason that we have all of these gatekeeping and that's exactly what it is. This has nothing to do with minimum competence. I know that's what the NCBE would like you to believe. It is not factually true because the folks who the folks and again, the ultimate irony with the NCBE, the National Conference of Bar Examiners, they're located in Wisconsin. Carlos, what's different Wisconsin about Wisconsin? Is- you they have diploma privilege. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and is that not, in fact, what we were advocating for so hard in the beginning of the pandemic when we did not know what was going to happen with the bar exam? March 13th, 2020 pandemic hits. Everything starts shutting down. The bar exam is supposed to happen in July. What do we do? What's the plan? Some states jumped in like Washington state. Oregon, I believe there were a couple states that immediately were like, we're going to go for diploma privilege. And this this was not just due to the states themselves. There was amazing. I still to this day cannot tell you how impressed I am with the fact that so many brand new JDs grouped together, advocated for themselves and were literally petitioning state Supreme Courts to get Mm -hmm. diploma privilege. It was it was insane what was happening. I'm sure a lot of us here like listened in to the very because in Texas there were there were open hearings, California, uh, Florida, all over the place, New York, where people were just petitioning and making pleas like, please, we need diploma privilege now mm-hmm. and fell on deaf ears. And largely that's because there is a business aspect to the bar exam, which cannot be denied. There are too many businesses now that rely on having this regime, not to mention the National Conference of Bar Examiners that are the creators of the uniform bar exam, which virtually every state now has, even the states that do not use a uniform bar, they use some of the components. Even California Mm -hmm. might use the MBE. 
So they they get millions and millions and millions of dollars creating these things. All the bar prep companies, the tutoring companies, all these other agencies that are that are coming in. There's just too much money at stake to shut it down. Yep. And I should add that to me, the most frustrating thing about the bar exam, um, I practiced 11 years before I became a law professor. The things I teach in bar prep do not exist in practice, nor do they exist in law school. There are concepts, there are legal concepts that are just completely moot now, where I will tell students when I'm teaching it in law school classes, we're going to run through this really quickly because the only place you're ever going to see this in your life is on the bar exam. Or when I'm doing my bar prep lectures, I lecture through a little quickly and just give out some mnemonics because it's pointless because they will never, ever use it again. There's information that only there's law that only exists on the bar exam. Yep. Yeah. But you have to pass it and then unlearn what you learned at bar prep to then go be a good lawyer. It's frustrating. And that's why even after these years of advocating and arguing and endless white papers that various law professors and other um, organizations like law school transparency has been a big I've, I've been involved with those guys for a long time, just trying to advocate for changes in law schools to better prepare people for the practice of law, because law school isn't designed to prepare you to practice. It's designed to prepare you to be a law professor, basically, if that's what you want to do. But what we're being tested on is literally stuff that would get you disbarred if you did it mm-hmm. like I am not expected to know all the the rules of law off the top of my head and not be able to look up research to make sure that I know what the what the 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 rules are now. If if I did that, oh, I'm not going to look up the rules. I'm just going to go. I'm just I haven't checked the rule book in 20 years. I'm sure it's fine. Let me just Mm -hmm. let me just do that. I would get disbarred immediately. Mm -hmm. It's malpractice. But we're we're expected to regurgitate things and learn bad law. We're learning common law principles that haven't been good for donkey's ages. We're 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 having to also know the the you know, the all these different uniform codes that some states have implemented. Some states haven't. But we're supposed to know it as if this is a thing that we'll use in practice. And it's it's ridiculous. Again, the argument that this is to ensure minimum competence blatantly falls on its face. Literally, the the term the practice of law, it, it it's alluding to us actually getting books, actually doing research. We're actually doing the work. There is never going to be an opportunity for a client to come in my office and me to spout out multiple choice answers ever, ever. Even the best of attorney is going to fact find. They're going to get all the information. They're going to take an intake. They're going to do all these things. None of that is on the bar exam. Not not even remotely. There's no part of the bar exam that's saying, this is how you go to court. You sign in. This is a notice of representation. Now you have a client. Like literally nothing on the bar exam is practical. And we picked on the multiple choice, but the essays are like scenarios that don't exist in law or fact. Absolutely not. (laughs) Right. But when you think about it, Carlos, the reason that they're structured that way is because they have to be. These are 30 minute essays. They have to be designed to be done in that time. So they're going to come up with some crazy fact pattern, but they can only give you enough facts that you'll actually need to apply to the case. And this is the thing. This is my first hot tip for bar takers. 
do not worry about learning the law before you start doing your practice essays, because you need to practice these essays for issue spotting. And there's always going to be some crazy issue. I can guarantee you if there's an issue where somebody is injured and they're on their way to the hospital in an ambulance, there's going to be an accident. The Mm -hmm. ambulance is going to run into a tree and everybody's going to die. So that happens every time. There's always going to be some crazy thing that's literally some cats and jammer kids like silent film serial slapstick that has nothing to do with when my clients come in. They're going to be like, Kimber, I need to know how to get my husband to pay me child support. What do I do? Well, let me think about what UCC2 has to say about this. Like, it'll never happen. No. No, no. Yeah. Bars like there's bar reality and there's reality reality. And it's, it's really important to know that, right? Like don't think that that helps you practice at all. And the kitchen now, sink Fallon, approach is not like- the way the kitchen sink approach. Right. And I think this is another thing. Like the problem is in law school, we're taught to literally spot every issue, even issues that you, the professor who set the essay has not thought of because you're you're not you're not able to literally spot every single issue. Sometimes somebody's going to spot something else. They're the one that gets the A or the book prize or the Cali or whatever. They mm-hmm. have discretion, but the bar exam is not like that. It's hit it and quit it. It's always been that way. And people people are not prepared to go from vomiting everything they've ever learned about anything to getting in and getting out and moving it along. And that's where people that's a lot of the reason why people stress out and do not succeed because they're trying to approach the bar exam like law school and it's different. And they don't tell you that. Right. Well, and I would say this too about the issue spotting on the bar exam. You know, what I tell students is figure out what topics it is first and only spot those issues. Because I will sometimes write model answers for the Virginia bar examiners after the exam. And what I always try to do when I write the model answer, you know, they'll give it to me and say, this is a corporation's essay, or this is a partnership essay. And I will write out my model answer for the bar examiners. And then I will say, oh, by the way, the way you describe these facts also allude to this, this, and this. So it's possible for a student to completely not read this as a corporation's question and read this as a contracts question, here's why. Because I think it's important for them to know. And I hope that when I give a model answer and I tell them as someone who teaches corporations and contracts and knowing that every single person who's sitting for the bar exam is also studying contracts, this is what I see. I hope that it can get the student who writes it as a total contracts essay some points and doesn't make them get a zero. Because the bar examiners tell me, this is the BA question, this is the contracts question. And I'll look at it and be like, really? Yeah, but they're 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 wedded to this rubric. And what a lot of people don't know, you imagine that the people that are grading your bar essays are spending the same amount of time that you carefully crafted it. Oh, no, it may be three to five minutes per essay. They're red checking. They have a rubric. And if it's not on the rubric, you ain't getting them points. I had a student. This was a guy who was on law review, top 10 percent of his class, flagship state university. Amazing guy failed the bar exam harder than I've ever seen somebody fail it because he was under the impression that what he had to do was literally write a treatise of law for every single question. But you know what he didn't do? He never answered the question. Mm -hmm. He just wrote everything he knew about Paul's graph without telling me whether or not the treehouse was a freaking attractive nuisance. And this is the trap. This is the trap. 
part of the part of the reason why bar prep courses exist is because law schools are not very good at preparing people for the bar exam because the professors don't want to teach the bar prep classes. The the classes that are the bar, the the typical uh, bar topics are first year topics, typically with evidence thrown in. But evidence isn't a required course anymore by the ABA. Corporations, not required. Certain other UCC type classes, they're not required. A lot of people don't take them because they don't want to mess up their GPAs. So if the first time you're seeing evidence is on the bar exam, you're going to have a bad time. And they don't really tell you. It's, it's one thing to tell people, oh, your school is low ranked. You're going to have trouble. That's a total cop out. Some of the most studious, hardest working most impressive students I've ever seen are at the low rank schools. You know why? They are working full time. They got families to support. They are they are They got so many plates to juggle. They can do this, but they need the right tools. And we're just not giving people those tools. And then we're forcing them to go out and outsource it and pay another several thousand dollars or do like I did and be a bar prep rep so I can get it for free. I mean, that's that's just not feasible for many people. Now, Fallon, you know, we've talked a lot about all the drama with the bar exam, and I would love for you to tell us when you did take the bar. You took Texas, right? And how did you study? Which bar prep program did you use? And like, what was your strategy for studying? Well, to start off, I was one of those individuals who was working and doing work study, had a little part-time job in the mall, and also had to be a, P- a PMBR rep to, you know, be able to take the course for free because, you know, money doesn't fall from trees. And as a first-generation law student, like literally the first person in my family to go to law school, I didn't know that all these different things went into it, where I have classmates who came in with parents who were judges or they were from the Valley and their parents owned 10 law firms. So they showed up the first day of law school with, with Barbary books, with supplement. I didn't even know what a supplement was. So it was kind of like, okay, I took the bar in, in July, you know, right after we graduated, still having to do the work and all these things with the already pressure of knowing that my school was already going to be ranked terribly. And I approached it from a place of stress, from a place of fear, from a place of like really desperation. And I was not successful on the first attempt. It wasn't until my second time that I actually changed up the way that I studied. It was like, okay, let me find a backup plan because putting all this energy on one test, like my life depends on it. Like it's a life or death situation, completely mind fucked me. So when I told myself that I had other options in life, like I, I could do other things other than be an attorney, I didn't go to study every day as if it was a life or death situation. I didn't have the three jobs. I was like, okay, I'm going to dedicate this time and study. I took the bar in February and passed. But I'm like, why would I have to psych myself out and like have an approach, a nonchalant, don't care that much about it approach to actually be successful? Um, The first time I took the bar, I missed it by 11 points. And it was literally like, I thought life was over. Like, I felt like not only am I a failure to my colleagues and everybody else, I'm like, I've let the law school down because we already have a bad rep. I've let myself down. Like, this is the first actual failure I've ever had in my entire life. 
So it was like complete devastation. And it took like a lot of self-work. Like I literally had to build in time to rest, read for pleasure, um, talk to friends, like go out to have lunch with people and not approach it as if it was a life or death drill sergeant technique. And I noticed that the people who didn't have to work or the people who weren't that stressed out about finding a job because their parents had a job or their mom was a judge in whatever town, they they played around. They did all these things that wouldn't necessarily look like somebody who's being successful studying, but they also had the same supplements all our whole three years of law school. So they already had experience. They had already played around with the practice test. They had all these things from their parents or their friends or their cousins or whoever else went to law school that had already told them the cheat code. The cheat code and like the elitism and like the have and the have nots, all of that plays into it. Because if your family has a whole fleet of attorneys, they're already going to put you on game. You're already going to know coming out the door how to approach it. For first generation students, when you're already working and like struggling to even be there, it's kind of hard to just shift your mindset to be like, oh, this test is nothing. I got it. I already have the tools. I'm going to be a great attorney. And that can really screw you up. So my studying changed. I, I was more successful when I didn't look at it as a life or death got to do this type of thing and just approached it from a way that I knew that I had options and that my life would not be over depending on what the bar results were. So I'll say don't really stress it as much. I know that's like oxymoronic to say bar exam and don't stress it. But I feel like the people who live their lives as if everything was going to be good with that positive outset because they had money to fall back on. They already knew the ins and out of what the exam had to offer, what the tests were like, the practice tests, just approach it like a mediocre white man use that mentality when you go to take your test and then you'll probably pass I, I will say the mental health two things one you know you saying you fail by 11 points you know what's crazy about the bar exam is it's possible if Fallon had taken the bar exam the year I took the bar exam she would have passed with the exact same score because they move what the number is for passing like you do not know when you go into the bar exam what score you need to pass in like, you know, with the, with the UBE, I think you do kind of know it's like this state's going to be an 85 or this state's going to be a 75. But back in the day when I took the bar exam, we didn't know in Texas what the pass number was going to be. So you could, you could have a passing score one year and it could vary from sitting to sitting. Right. So you're the same score you got in February could be a failing score the next July. Or the score that's, a, you know, it, so you just don't know. So that just adds to the stress. So I tend to agree that the mental health aspects, because so much is out of your control, um, and that's why I had such a hard time studying for the bar exam. Like, so much was out of my control. Nothing was predictable. And all I could do was sit and, like, drill multiple choice questions and kind of pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> so and that, with, and that's what you should have to do. Like theoretically, nobody should be out here really feeling like their life will be over and we should not be tasked with such a, 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 a situation where you're jeopardizing your mental health, your physical health, like all these things for something that does not even determine how good of a lawyer you're going to be. Like it literally has nothing to do with your capability to practice law and win cases. It literally has nothing to do with your ability to successfully run a business or venture off into a million different 
avenues to say that you are using your law degree. Like none of these things matter in your mental health. I, I just don't feel like a profession should be that careless about the people who are ultimately going to be upholding the bar, basically hazing them, putting them online and whipping them and then giving them a, a shiny prize and then saying, hey, figure it out when you get out into real practice, because that bar you just passed is not going to help you in a court case. It truly does feel like hazing. Like but that's what it is. It's yeah. the system is designed to keep people out. It's not if you look at and we've talked about this a lot with respect to the bar exam abolition movement. We looked like when we were all out here advocating for for diploma privilege and for other ways of licensing attorneys, because the 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 main the main argument that they make is, well, how else are we going to ensure minimal competence? Like there's no other way except for the bar exam. But then we look at Wisconsin. Wisconsin has diploma privilege, which means if you go to Marquette or University of Wisconsin, those two law schools, which I used to cover. So I've been there quite a lot when I was doing bar prep. Um, if you graduate from one of those schools, you're you're basically admitted to the to the bar within a day or two. You graduate from law school, then a couple of days later, they swear you in. Now, if you if if it follows that you need to take a licensing exam to ensure minimal competence, you should look at their attorney discipline and see what are the kind of complaints that we're getting from Wisconsin and 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 does it relate to their inability to disgorge tons of contracts information? No. They, they don't have any more issues than other states. They're the exact same kind of issues. And you know what? The top the top two reasons that, that attorneys get in trouble. Number one is they ghost their clients. They are not responsive. They don't talk to their clients. Don't call them back. Don't tell them what's going on. They miss court dates, that kind of stuff. And they mess with their money. Are we taught anything in law school about how to deal with money or how to set up a, an IOLTA account, a trust fund? No. We're not we're not trained to do it and we're certainly not tested on it. Sure, I can tell you about an, a fertile octogenarian and the rule against perpetuities. But can I tell you how to read a financial affidavit? No, I didn't even know what that was till I started practicing law. So this idea that you need to have a licensing test to ensure minimal competence is just window dressing. What this is, is a system purposely engineered and designed to keep people out. And it works. It works. Now, Kim, Kimber, how did you study for the bar exam when you oh, took girl. it? I was a hot, hot mess. So <laughs> I did literally all the things that I tell people not to do. First of all, um, I was like Fallon said, super stressed out. If I don't pass, I'm going to die. I was so stressed out. I stopped menstruating for three and a half months. So I did not literally menstruate again until the second day of the bar exam. So during the MBE it was like that scene from The Shining, like literally at the Chicago Gleacher Center. Sorry, University of Chicago. I destroyed that chair. Anyhow, um, that's the level of pressure I was putting on myself, because, again, I was uh, most most law students tend to be higher achievers. We've never like Fallon said, we've never failed anything in our entire life. I'd never failed anything in my entire life. I was not prepared for this. I had six weeks to prepare. I had to take the winter bar exam because I had died in law school briefly um, because I had put so much stress on myself that I had complete renal failure in my second year. So <laughs> there is no reason why law school has to be this way. But for many of us, it really is. The You can be as stressed out as you want to be or as chill as you want to be, but ultimately, the majority of us really 
are super stressed out the entire time to the point where we're not sleeping, we're not eating or we're overeating, we're not drinking or we're drinking too much, we're smoking nonstop, we're, we're not exercising, we're having nonstop anxiety, panic attacks, throwing up, crying jags, nightmares. I still get nightmares about the bar exam. I mean, I think we all have PTSD and I'm not making this up. This is a fact. I still have panic attacks sometimes because I'll, I'll have a dream that I have, that I have to take the bar exam and I'll wake up and be like, I haven't studied towards. Oh my God. So what I did was I created this crazy schedule whereby I was doing my bar prep in the morning, the, the, the lectures, and I would spend three hours doing outlining and flashcards. And then I would spend another three hours doing, um, you know, practice questions and things. And it was unsustainable, completely unsustainable. I overstudied. I overprepared. I focused on the wrong things. I tried to learn nothing but black letter law, which was a mistake because I didn't do adequate um, essay prep. And at the time, you only got three graded essays. Now all the essay prep companies offer you unlimited essay grading to some extent, or at least a certain amount of essays that you know you're going to get graded. We we didn't get that. So the first essay that I got was a commercial papers essay that I failed miserably. And that immediately put me into the mind that I just got to I got to do nothing but study all day long. And at one point, I purchased Jolt gum, caffeinated gum. I th- this existed at the time I was chewing jolt gum, drinking nonstop coffee. I was vibrating through time. The only thing that got me through was the first season, the lost season of RuPaul's Drag Race. That was literally the only thing that got me through. I almost died <laughs> during the bar exam. And a couple of years later, there was a woman who went into labor during the second part of the bar exam in Chicago, right here. And then after she took the MBE, walked across the street to go have her baby. So this just tells you the physical, mental, psychological toll is far worse than anything else you will experience in the practice of law. And all of us who are, who are not in bar prep now have been able to repress some of these memories, but Carlos and I, we still work with bar takers, so we never get to escape it. So it just keeps, you know, it's nightmare season. It's nightmare I have, season. I have bar exam nightmares the week of the bar exam every single year because I know that my students are taking it and I like wake up in a cold sweat. Um, I was on Klonopin, um because my mom like took me to a therapist because um, she thought I was losing my mind. I could basically only eat peanut butter and jelly or grilled cheese after like a while. Cause like everything else I would basically throw up. So I got clonopin that you put under your tongue for like panic attacks and anxiety. I was popping clonopin under my tongue during the bar exam, which if I took a clonopin now, I'd probably fall asleep. Like that's how wound up I was and how type A I am that I could take clonopin all day, which anyone who's taken anti-anxiety meds, (laughs) like it's strong. And that was just to get me to be able to like read words on a page. That's better than the people who would take snorting lines of Coke during the bar. Oh God. So that's, yeah, that's real life. I mean, some people go to church. I took the bar exam. The first day was fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras. The second day was Ash Wednesday. So a bunch of people skipped lunch, went to mass, came back. 
And some of the other students were making fun of them. Hey, you got some schmutz on your forehead. But they were already crying. Like these people had just come from church and they're hugging each other and crying and they've got ashes on their face. And there's like, why is this happening to us? But people, people throw up people, you know, and again, I want to I still want to bring up the fact that the pandemic created the most unhinged response to people just asking for basic humanity. The fact that, okay, we're going to move the bar exam online. Great. We should have taken Indiana's approach, which was where it's going to be open book. We're going to give it to you. We're going to give you a certain amount of time to do the work and then turn it in. Everybody's cool. But no, that's not what happened. The bulk of people had to sit in front of their camera. They were told if they moved their eyes too much, they would be flagged. If they turned their head too much, they would be flagged. They couldn't have anything in their room with them. They were not allowed to get up for bathroom breaks. People were wearing adult diapers. Some people had pee bottles. I know you guys love to do that. Like some people were peeing in bottles or had a bucket or a bucket nearby just for vomiting. But they would literally have to announce I am getting up to go to the bathroom now or I am I'm looking around because I'm thinking, you know, like there was in California, there were something like sixty six hundred flags against the bar takers and the bulk of them were like blinked too much, looked around the room, uh, didn't keep her eyes in front of the camera like it's impossible what they were asking people to do and just like and the fact that. Certain states were requiring people to come in person. I know Texas had an in-person really weird. Um, they were they did it in a hotel where they had people blowing whistles in the hallway. And there were other states that 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 just had these huge rooms where people were not allowed to bring for a long time. People weren't they weren't allowed to bring menstrual products in. And I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff happening that. It's so it's got to the point where it's so fully dehumanizing and and so disconnected from the reality of the practice of law that one has to ask why? Why are we still doing this? And what can we do to support the people who are going through this now? How can we better prepare them with the tools that that are available to them? But what does a future without the bar exam look like? Mm-hmm. What I tell my students is, you know, I I emphasize mental health. Um, one, I know so many mentally ill lawyers <laughs> and let's just put that out Most there. Most of us. <laughs> Most of us, hell, me included. Okay. Like I know, but you know, I know so many lawyers who are mentally ill to the point of you truly need help and treatment. And I know you're never going to get it because you, your mental illness makes you a successful lawyer and your lawyer is everything that you are. And therefore you are literally going to die of cirrhosis of the liver or like, you know, not have a relationship with your family at all and just do all these horrible things. So, you know, I emphasize to my students mental health from day one of law school all the way through and ask them to, no matter what, maintain your humanity. Because I would rather you fail the bar and never be a lawyer um, and be the exact same person you were when you entered law school than for you to change who you are for this profession. I think it's, it's important that we start having lawyers practice who are whole human beings. Yes. Instead of people who are robots and widgets who have just been whipped into shape to do the job. Um, and it's it's unconscionable what we do. It's unconscionable what we do to law students in law school with grading. Yeah. Um, I have labor based grading in my upper level classes <laughs> with B guarantees because I don't care about grading and, I, and no one should. 
Um, yeah, but I can't do that with one else, but so I do what I can with one else, but you know, it's, it's, it's just really, really stupid. It's not necessary to make good lawyers, any of what we do. No, not at all. And so what I would recommend for those of you out there who are preparing for the bar exam right now, I know we we're about halfway through July 4th tends to be the kind of turning point where the folks that, you know, like the, the, the people that, and again, there's so much inequity in what, like what Fallon was describing many, uh, you know, people of color, single parents, working families do not have the time or resources to set aside an entire summer to do nothing but study. And then there's, there's a, there's a large amount of privilege of people who have nothing but time. They've got support. It doesn't matter if they're not successful because their uncle or brother or mom or cousin or something's going to set them up somewhere or they'll get a nice, a nice cushy place to land. It doesn't matter. They'll have to time. So these guys, uh, you know, ironically, the lack of the stress that they put on themselves makes them more successful. But what I would recommend folks is it's, it's, it's imperative that you use your time wisely and don't waste time on the BS. Your bar prep company is going to give you so much busy work to make you feel like you're getting the full um, value of the course. And you're spending thousands of dollars for these things. There's all kinds of bells and whistles and goo progress bars. Ignore it. Um, lectures, you don't need to sit there for three hours and listen to a lecture in, in, you know, regular speed. You can put it on 1.5, two, two times speed, go for a walk, walk your dog, take a ride, go for a drive, clean your house, do some cooking, do something else. And you're gonna, you're gonna have less stress on yourself because what Fallon was talking about, this is actual, this is actual neuroscience. When you're stressed out, you cannot store new memories. How many, like in some cases, the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you is seared in your brain. In some cases, your brain represses it. So when you have the cortisol and all the stress hormones coming through your brain, you have trouble making new memories. You can't sit here for 12 hours trying to cram torts when you're like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. If I don't pass, I'm going to die. Nothing will get in there. You have to divorce yourself from this idea that I have to sit here and do these things robotically. Just like Carlos was saying, get out exercise. If you're feeling stressed out, exercise, yoga, meditation, mindfulness exercises. There's tons of great free apps or low cost apps you can get for meditation to help you sleep. It's imperative that you sleep. There's no purpose in spending all your time studying because it's not going to sink in. Also, everybody lies. I don't care who they are. Every single person who's taking the bar exam is either lying to themselves or other people or both about how much or how little they're studying. Don't fall for it. It's a trap. Just like Admiral Akbar says, it's a trap. Um, it's important to focus on the things that you're actually going to be faced with. And that is the multi-state performance test, which is where you're writing a letter or a memo or an argument section of a brief. Sometimes it'll be something like a jur uh, like a, a leave behind at a, a congressional office or something. You need to actually practice what is tested. It, it, spending all day doing flashcards is only going to benefit you somewhat, but you must practice. Read and outline those essay questions every single time. Iraq, Syrac, crack, whatever your state says, but do that every time. You should be doing as many multiple choice practice questions as you possibly can. It doesn't matter if they're timed right now, but do as many practice questions as you can. Make sure you're reading the answers so you know why you're getting questions right and wrong. And make sure that you are doing effective um, 
Black Letter Law Review. So one thing I want to tell you, if you take nothing else away from me today, is if I see one more freaking color coded freaking set and I okay, I know a lot of people are like, I'm going to use pink for torts and blue for crim law. Don't do it. Every single card should be a 3.5 card. One rule of law only one defense only. That should be it. If you have so much information on that card that it's in 0.5 font, it is not helpful. So don't cheat yourself. Make sure that you're practicing effectively. Do quick, brief bursts of of flashcard review, five, 10 minutes while you're getting a coffee um, over lunch. Make sure that you're switching it up. Make sure you're getting exercise. Make sure that you're breaking the day up with adequate food, exercise, time for friends and family. Stay off social media, except for me, of course. You must follow me on at 420 Attorney Chicago. Um, Please follow me. But do not go do not go online, especially not in Facebook groups where people taking the bar exam. All that's going to happen is you're going to go down the rabbit hole of everybody like we're going to fail. And that is just stinking thinking. You need to visualize success. Okay, no matter what law school you went to, no matter where your rank is in the class, if you don't believe in yourself, you will not succeed. You're the only person that can convince yourself that you can do this. And I need you guys every single day to look in the mirror and say, I am passing the bar exam. I am minimally competent. I'm going to do this. And think about yourself. Think about what your theme music is when you walk into court. Think about what your briefcases look like. Think about the first time you are. I want you to see yourself as an attorney, and I want you to visualize that every single day. And that's going to get you much farther than sitting here and doing 52 uh, million hours of watching these lectures, because that is not as helpful as knowing that you believe in yourself. You're taking care of your body and you're not getting involved in all of this petty crap that uh, that a lot of folks will get drawn into the first time they take the bar. Yes. Get you a playlist that will empower you. Speak life into yourself. Do not get into those conversations where everybody, oh, no, here come the third goods. We're going to fail. Blah, blah, blah. Don't do it. Like it's so much mental into it. And if you truly give yourself grace, like if you don't want to study one day, don't. If you feel like all you're going to do is look at the answers, like looking at the answers to the right, the multiple choice questions, study the answers that helped me tremendously. But don't get caught up in the mental of it because everybody's going to want to sit around and complain. Everybody's going to want to talk about how many essays they practice. Who did this? Who's working here? Who's doing that? Just don't do it. Declick. Don't don't get in caught up in the clicks of people at Barbary where everybody's all, oh, this is the smart people table and we already did this and I already started here. Like avoid it. Find some solitude in yourself. Talk, speak life into yourself and your your study habits and your future practice of law. Like do all of those things and just do not approach this test as if it's a matter of life and death. The bar is not going to be the benchmark of success for your legal career. The bar or even your law school ranking is not going to be what's going to keep you warm in bed at night. Like there are so many other great things that I have experienced in this life that being an attorney has afforded me that have not had jack squat to do with the bar 
or my law school or my ranking or even my score on the bar exam. Like your life is going to be determined by you and what you put into it, your hustle, your grind, your your character. All those things are going to be the measure of how far you go with your law degree and with your bar card. That that exam, it, it ain't it. I will say as far, you know, I had one friend who I studied with the entire time, like, and I realized we were like-minded. She was studying at her house by herself. I would go to her house sometimes, or we'd meet up somewhere. And I had to stop talking to most of my other friends during the bar exam. Like you need to have some discernment about who you are and who you can be around and who's going to uplift you and who's going to tear you down. So my friends who were super braggy and super negative, no. Like I saw them on that day after the bar exam was done. But the friend who like was my, you know, was like me, studied like me, we reviewed things together. Like what I did when I took the bar exam, first of all, I cheated with some stuff. So like I bought flashcards instead of making them. And so I bought bar exam flashcards so that if I was standing in line at the grocery store, if I went to the beach with my family, which I did a couple times, I could lay on the beach and drill bar exam flashcards passively. And that's honestly, I think that got my multi-state score up because I was just drilling because they also repeat questions. So I drilled enough prepaid flashcards that I sat down for the bar exam and I was like, I've actually seen this exact same question before on one of my flashcards. So, you know, buying flat, like don't be afraid to do shortcuts. Um, The other thing that I did when I studied you know, I'd finish a lecture, finish an outline or whatever, and do some practice questions. And then I made myself one to two page outlines for every subject. Because back then, Texas tested like 20 things. And if I could not reduce, if I could reduce it to one or two pages after the first lecture, the only thing I looked at the rest of bar prep was my outline. I did not flip through that big ass book. You know, if I could get oil and gas in two pages, moved on. Like I just stuck and moved because there were too many topics. And the truth is they tell you there are like 20 topics or 12 topics or however many, they're only going to test like six. So woe is you if you have drilled, drilled hardcore down on the intricacies of trust in estates and there is no trust in estate question, but you skipped the commercial paper and it's a huge omnibus commercial paper essay. So just think about getting more bang for your buck and doing as many subjects as possible as quickly as possible, instead of trying to get into the details is all I have. Um, the last thing I want to ask y'all before I ask the final, final question, do you think it mattered what you took in law school? No, not really. If I, I, I mean, outside of just those classes that they give you your one L year, just to have a little bit of familiarity to the subject matter, like the substantive courses, I mean, maybe if they had a test taking course or just like effective multiple choice scene, that would have been helpful. But otherwise, I, I mean, just the method that we're taught, it has it's nothing like the exam, like the way that we're questioned, the, the tests that we take, unless you're taking like multi-state as questions then no, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Take evidence, though. The one thing I would recommend is take evidence. Because that is very difficult. And, and you know that that that's very likely to be tested as an essay. 
And you're definitely going to get questions on the MBE. And I've seen people from University of Chicago to all these other big ass schools have real serious issues with evidence because it's not a required course and they don't take it. And it's very difficult to understand all the hearsay exceptions with just bar prep. So that's the one class I would recommend. Everything else you can pretty much pick up in bar prep using Carlos's method is exactly synthesize, reduce, uh, inverted pyramid. So you get the least amount of stuff that's the most likely to be tested. Yeah, I would say, you know, I have to advocate for my classes. Um, One, you know, evidence absolutely is important. But if your first year contracts class does not cover the UCC, take something with the UCC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause if, if you see the UCC the first time UCC and evidence are the two things that if you see them the first time in bar prep, it's not going to go well for you. So my last lightning round question, we only have a few minutes left. Do you think we'll ever abolish the bar nationwide? I'll start with Fallon. Do you think we'll ever abolish the bar? I think eventually yes, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. What do you think Kimber? I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical because I thought that if 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 there were ever a time for the NCBE and all the various jurisdictions to come together to actually realize what a travesty this whole thing is, it would be during the pandemic. And the fact that we just continued to make this t- test even more miserable and more inaccessible for more people, I I would love for it to be abolished, but I'm not hopeful it's going to happen in my lifetime. I don't think I agree with y'all. I don't think I'll ever see it abolished. And, you know, in light of that, what I advocate for is changing it. I don't see why you can't take the multiple choice after your first year of law school. <laughs> like Absolutely. why, like you take all those subjects, the first year of law school minus evidence. So why not add evidence to the first year curriculum and take it the summer after your first year. And then, you know, if you don't pass it, the, the reason I advocate for the multi-state after the first year, especially, is if I'm going to fail the multi-state, maybe I don't want to stay in law school, <laughs> right? Fair. Like, right, you know, and like they give the baby bar in California to people who have just read. Why can't there be the equivalent for people who have paid $100,000 to go to XYZ school? And I think it could happen because a lot of the things that were adopted by the, the uniform bar exam original originated out of California. So, I mean, if California led the way, because California is one of those states that doesn't have reciprocity because they have a lot of um, unaccredited law schools and they allow anybody to just roll in and read the law like Kim Kardashian is doing. So if California adopted some some model like that, I think. And if Texas maybe did it, if one of the bigger states did it, I think we could see some movement. And the NCBE is changing the exam to make it more reflective of practice, but we'll see. We'll see what I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Me either. Well, I just want to thank my guests. Thank you all for joining me on this episode. Thank you all for tuning in to Getting Common. If you ever miss an episode, you can catch the rebroadcast anywhere podcasts are played, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Voice of America Network. We also upload the videos to our YouTube channel. So you should subscribe to that so that you get instant notifications. Feel free to send me emails through the show page, or you can reach out to me on social media. I am at Carla C on all platforms. And Kimber, go ahead and throw out your Twitter handle. I am at uh, 420 ATTY Chicago. And Fallon, which, what are you on social media? 
Um, you can usually find me on Instagram at, at notorious underscore foul or on Twitter at notorious foul. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining me and thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Please join us again next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thoughtful discussion.